You're listening to The Zealous Podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Snyder, and this week, I've got Corey Van Wyk in the house with me. Corey has been a professor in colleges, also CSCS. He will be presenting at the 2023 NSCA National Conference this July in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace, but he's also the acquisitions editor for Human Kinetics Publishers. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with that publishing group if you're in the world of strength conditioning. We're just going to jump right in, talk about performance supplements, his work with the publishing company, and a whole lot more. Hope you enjoy. In the meantime, click that subscribe button. Just do me a favor and follow us on Instagram at Rocky underscore Snyder. Here we go. So this week on Zealous, we're taking a different track. We're going to go into the world of publishing and because there's so many of our previous guests who are strength coaches, physical therapists, athletic trainers that have resources, bookshelves upon books upon books. One of the publishing companies that they'll see on almost every bookshelf is Human Kinetics because they are one of the juggernauts when it comes to the world of strength conditioning. And I just happen to have the acquisitions editor, Corey Van Wick, on with me this week. But aside from that, he's been a college coach uh, even though up in a small northwestern Iowa town, he still manages to affect the entire strength conditioning industry and also will be one of the presenters at this year's NSCA National Conference. So we're going to dive in a little bit with that. So first of all, Corey, thanks for agreeing to be on Zealous. Well, hey, thank you uh, for bringing me on. I, you have some amazing guests, so I uh, just uh, feel lucky to be one of them. You know, I stand at like five foot one. And so therefore I need all those giants around me so I can step <laughs> up on their shoulders and, and see what's coming down the horizon. And you, my friend, you, you are a giant yourself in the publishing industry. Tell me right away, we'll get into the college sports days sure. and, and, and coaching and all that in, in the NSCA, but how did you land a job with human kinetics? Uh, well, you know, I, I should, I should note right off the bat, I'm, I'm one acquisitions editor with HK. So we have some others. Uh, I, I would say, you know, uh, there's one that some people might know his name is Roger Earl. So if you uh, got certified on the previous edition of the uh, CSCS text, he was one of the editors. So like, I also stand on the shoulders, like you said, of, <laughs> of, of giants. So I uh, uh, just thought I'd mention that. So um, yeah, honestly, the HK job was, I don't want to say it was by chance, or it, but it was definitely not something I was actively looking for as far as I want to get into publishing, I want to get into the world of books. Um, it was something where I was between jobs, I was looking, and I just thought to myself, hmm, wonder if HK has any openings, like, I just wonder what they've got. And, uh, I went to the website, looked at openings. I saw this thing called an acquisitions editor. And I'm like, okay, editor probably has something to do with, you know, reading, reading books and giving feedback. And I'm a professor, so I've done that before. And I like information. I like education. So let's see what this is about. And, you know, I start reading the job description, something about you know, acquiring authors and thinking of, of book ideas and pitching them to the company and then editing the book for its content. And I'm like, that all sounds really cool to me. Like I love, there's, there's, there's like, no matter what I've, what I'm doing, there's like two things I want to do education and, and network. 
And this literally is like those two things are in the job description. Like I have to, I literally have to know who's who I have to know who's doing what I have to know who is the expert in certain areas. Uh, and my job is to see if they will write books for us. Like, okay. Oh, so you, you actively go out and actively. And so it's not yep. that, you know, typically, so I've written a few books myself, right. And, yep. and Absolutely. with that, you, you, you actually have to go forth and, and find a publisher, but mm. this isn't the case for you. Mm -hmm. You actually actively go out and find yes. authors and experts. Nine, 99% of our authors are acquired by our acquisitions editors. Yes. We get very few, uh, honestly, very few um, pitches from outside sources and even fewer that are viable. You know, we'll wow. get some that are like, you know, I'm trying to think of one random one in the past. Like I want to write a book on like herbs or something. That's just like totally not an HK thing. It's not fit. It doesn't fit our audience. Uh, or, you know, they may be someone overseas that maybe did a self-published book and they want to see if we'll pick it up. But 99% of, of our authors are people that we have gone out and sought out and pitched a book idea to them and asked them if they would write the book. Well, that makes <clears throat> me just, you just destroyed my fear of rejection now. That's great. Here, <laughs> I thought it was all me. But in fact, I just didn't realize that it was you guys that yeah. were going out and looking for the talent rather than trying to knock that, on your door. I will say that that is the opposite of most publishers. Like oh, most well, there publishers, goes my fear of rejection like, coming back up well, again. <laughs> like most bigger publishers, like the, um, it's just the opposite way. Um, but because HK, it's weird to say because you're right, HK classically has these seminal uh, kind of texts in strength and conditioning where the publisher for the NSCA but on the scale of publishing, we're actually quite small. Um, so that's where, and we're also very niche. We only publish. Well, yeah, very niche, very niche. We only publish on, you know, strength, conditioning, fitness, nutrition, and health. That's it. So I'm curious, do you guys get together like on a quarterly or annual basis and go, okay, what's the direction? What are we looking for now? Um, let's say it's blood flow restriction or yep. force plate technology. What's coming down the pipe that we really need to get ahead of? Who are the leaders in the field? And can we get them to write for us? Is that what you guys do? To a degree. Yeah. I mean, as a division, so I work for the trade and professional division, which in its whole is about six people. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we meet every other week to discuss projects. Uh, I meet with the my fellow trade professional acquisitions editors uh, once a month to discuss projects. But how we handle it is each ACED uh, has their own subject areas, specific subject areas that they are in charge of. So like I mentioned, Roger Earl earlier, he is all of the NSCA projects and he does some strength and conditioning. Uh, I am, my specific subject areas are sports performance, uh, resistance training, strength training, and nutrition. So anything having to deal with those and my, and in those uh, areas, mine is a little more consumer facing versus professional facing. Like they really look to me since Roger handles more of the professional titles with the NSCA, uh, they kind of look to me to expand the consumer line. So these would be books for more for the average person, not necessarily the professional kinds at, Bar at Barnes and Noble. Okay, so, uh, and then we have another ACAD, Michelle uh, Michelle Earl, and uh, no relation, does... obviously, just a, a <laughs> coincidence. 
uh they're married so oh i did <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> they're married right. so no no blood relation there but uh she does yoga and pilates and like alternative fitness and running so we each have our areas and we are responsible for them so we are responsible for identifying in our area what do we need to what are trends what do we need to look out for what do we need to get ahead of what do we need to take advantage of where are the gaps and what will what will sell so like i will say a, a big challenge of the job is that last part of what is going to have a big enough audience that will sell on a scale that will be profitable so for example you mentioned like bfr BFR is, I would say, fairly new, you know, ish as far as a training modality and rehab and things like that. It's becoming more established. But if we just did a BFR book, probably not a big enough scale to get the enough sales that we would need because it'd basically be for athletic trainers, physical therapists, you know, maybe maybe personal trainers. I'm not sure what the scope would be or if even if there's devices. I think there's some devices out there if you get certified. That's not a very big pool. You know what I mean? So, and then it, then what we add into that is who, who's going to write it. So let's say we have a very, very niche topic, but the author that's willing to write it has a huge platform. They're well-known. They're known for this thing. They're active on social media. They speak at conferences. They're willing to help us promote the book that can change the game. You know what I mean? So it's just like, there's lots of different things you have to weigh when you're looking at a, a specific project um, you know, so, uh, but that's been really fun. Like that's been the side of publishing I've had to learn, but, um, the, the ideation of new book ideas, which is the other part of my job. Like I am responsible for growing our library in those areas, the, the subject areas that I, that I mentioned. Um, and then, uh, yeah, editing the book for its content, which kind of feels like what I used to do as a professor is in grading papers. So I imagine, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, obviously there's a lot of reading. Okay. Just to put you on the spot. What is the most intriguing piece that you've read in the last year or one that was surprisingly good, uh, that kind of had you, you know, scratching your head going, Oh, wow. Oh man. You mean like something that I just found interesting or something that I learned or? Yeah, either of those. What piques your interest right now? And you're like, ooh, this is, a, this is a direction that I want to investigate now based on the stuff that mm-hmm. I read. Uh, on, the one that sticks out to my mind right now is autoregulation. Tell um, me more. Okay. So, uh, you know, autoregulation, this concept of like fluid programming, uh, an adaptable workload that you place upon yourself based on readiness. So um, this has connections to things like injury prevention. And if we talk about the management of training related injuries, whether that's in the weight room, if you're like a power lifter or a weight lifter or on the field, if you're a team in court sport, auto regulatory practices are a way that you modify training, the training process and the workload and the demand placed on your body fluidly it's not a set thing like this it's not like uh here's my phase from week to week we're going to increase load by five percent and at the end of this phase this is where you should be well we also we know that things get in the way lack of sleep stress poor nutrition all these things can affect your recovery and readiness so you employ auto regulation or auto regulatory methods and you adapt for that fluidly 
rather than rigidly. So I think this is something that's gaining a lot of steam, has gained a lot of steam. I used it when I was a strength coach all the time. I love it, um, especially when you have college athletes that, you know, you get them for four years and that's it. And you don't, you, there's so many variables you can't control in their, in their daily life. Um, so that, that's a piece that when I was, when I'm reading the manuscript and I'm like, oh man, this, this is just going to be some really awesome information that I think a lot of people are going to resonate with. Right on. And I yeah. can see it actually being something much more directed toward personal training clients because, and, and yeah. it's something that we've had to organically create over the many years mm-hmm. that I've been doing it because, you know, it's one thing to train athletes professional elite level because that's their career and they are going to be the compliant clients compared to the general population who have family life and business life and travel and 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 just their own intrinsic motivational wavering and and Mm -hmm. so you could Mm -hmm. like I came into the NSCA where periodization was on the forefront. It was just starting to be built. Yep. The concept of periodization tables, uh, periodization programs. Uh, yep. And I tried to apply that to my personal training. And I was feeling like I was shoving a square peg in a round hole and just hammering this in there and, and really getting very stressed out that, oh, this person just canceled the last minute. They're going away on a three-week vacation. Where does that put the hypertrophy phase or the basic strength or the power, <laughs> yep. blah, 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 blah. So, yep. you know, so this is great. I, I'm yeah. very interested I think, in auto regulation. I think, I think has massive application to the world of personal training because as much as, you know, all, all the things that affect everyone affects athletes, but I would say, yeah, the average like person who it's not their job or it's not a major, major component of their life to be in physical peak physical condition there's just way even more variables at play. And um, I think a lot of people who are in personal training for, for any length of time do it naturally. They have to, they, they, they kind of employ auto-regulation naturally by conversation. Hey, how are you feeling today? Um, do we need to adapt training in a certain way? Okay, let's do this almost by feel. Um, you know, the, the, the goal of the book is to now to try to give some 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 more like objective, how can we do this? Uh, and give a roadmap on methods and then uh, tie them to even to specific goals. So yeah, we've uh, tapped how, into, how to do it. go ahead. I was going to say how, how to do it for like more of the, the fitness client or general, general fitness capabilities is part of the book, but then, you know, we'll also have it for strength, have it for team sports and, and things like that. So, yeah, we, for us personally here, we tap into the autonomic nervous system rather than some type of questionnaire that is more subjective, we could sure. use that, but I mean, we could use a single leg balance. We could use a range mm-hmm. of motion from one movement to the other in, as well as being more macro at the beginning sure. of their, their program because their, their body is continually going to be adjusting based on their strength levels, based on what's going on. And that periodized program that I was in trying to encourage I just throw that out the window and we go basically <laughs> from day to day with a general understanding of mm-hmm. where we want them to be. But, yep. you know, whether they lose a loved one or a pet or they just got exactly. a new job or their their grandchildren are getting married, this is all going to yes. fluctuate their stress levels. So absolutely, blood pressure is kind of a pain to take and heart rate's mm-hmm. easy enough 
but heart rate isn't going to tell us everything because it's so temperamental, but mm -hmm. range of motion, strength test, just even a dynamometer. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay. So yeah. let's, you've mentioned you're a professor a couple of times here. Yep. Uh, you've got your master's, you've got your CSCS. Where, where have you been teaching? So I did uh, all, all my teaching professionally at uh, Northwestern College here in Orange City, Iowa, which is where uh, I currently reside. Uh, I was a dual role. So like it was from the get go, the position was um, kinesiology faculty and strength and conditioning coach. Like there was not, uh, that was how it was from the get go. It wasn't like, a, oh, you're, you're faculty, but Hey, do you want to, do you want to coach a few teams on the side? <laughs> no, no, it was, it was no, set that way. And then, uh, by the time I left Northwestern, I, uh, I, I had been promoted to a professor of practice, which is uh, a rank that instead of doing research and you, uh, you are required to publish, you're actually required to practice in your field. So you teach, you uh, do like committee work for the, for the school. And then your third prong of your job is, is actively practicing. So my strength and conditioning hat fulfilled that. And um, how many so did, sports, which sports were you doing strength and conditioning for? Yep. I was uh, football, wrestling, men's and women's soccer, cheer and dance. Yep. Well, that's quite a load. Yeah. And I, I had uh, fewer teams. We had two full-time strength coaches. Well, two, two full-time uh, people in my role. So who are the dual role? Uh, and then, so our other strength coach had the other teams, although, you know, we kind of try to account for football because it's its own kind of animal, so to speak. Um, but yeah, we taught uh, around four classes a semester. Typically, it depended on how many credit loads the, the class was. But uh, I did all my teaching, I got all my teaching experience um, at that Northwestern. Wow, very good. And what yeah. inspired you to, to become CSCS? I, I mean... I, I'm a lucky guy that in the sense that I knew, I knew out of uh, high school, what I wanted to do, I, what I really? wanted to get into. Oh yeah. So I got lucky, you know, uh, out of, out of high school, I stepped into a, a division three school in uh, central Iowa called central college. And they were one of the first uh, schools in the entire country to have a full-time uh, strength coach at the D three level. I think, you know, Springfield probably beat, beat us to the punch, but uh, Central was very, very soon after to hire a full-time strength and conditioning coach. And wow. I met him. I was lucky enough to meet him in high school. And uh, he's like, hey, you come to Central, uh, you can work with me in the weight room. And I'm like, okay, I'm there. <laughs> so I went there and they had uh, developed basically a curriculum, an internship curriculum, a three-year long uh, internship curriculum. Uh, if you were a student strength coach, you coached on the floor uh, you did the assignments uh, required for the curriculum for the internship. And uh, I did that for three full years in uh, in college. So yeah, then when I became a full-time strength coach, it was just like, yep, I'm going to get my CSCS and, and all that stuff. So that's- And uh, any specific sports that you lean toward or do you- Yeah, I mean, like... I think with most strength coaches who came up, quote unquote, in the uh, the mid to late 2000s, uh, you know, your strength and power focused, you know, everything was, uh, you know, very football centric, uh, you know, like if you wanted to get into strength and conditioning, you're looking at D1 football or pro football or the, 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 where you want to live. So yeah, my, my natural, uh, I guess, bias and my natural, you know, the things I really looked at early on 
was was for strength and power focus. So football, wrestling were in my wheelhouse. Um, but you know, obviously at Northwestern, I had other sports that were not as uh, in at the end of that spectrum. So it really forced me to to expand my my viewpoints, my toolbox, uh, everything. So yeah. Was there one sport above the others where you learned the most from? Or again, that you were kind of surprised that, oh, yeah, this is going to be no problem. Soccer, they just kick a, a ball down the pitch <laughs> kind of thing. And then you realize, oh, whoa, I'm learning a lot. Oh, that's a good question. Um, honestly, I would say the biggest puzzle, and this is from a communication standpoint, but also is a very interesting puzzle from a training standpoint is wrestling. Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Because you need everything. You need everything. You need to be powerful, strong, aerobically fit. You have to have anaerobic capacity. You just literally need everything. Every every quality that we think of that we want to target, you need it all. And you don't know when it's going to happen. So you could have a wrestling match. Like the, the demand from match to match to match could be totally different. Totally different. You could have a match that's just a meat grinder where it's just like constant, like kind of lower, lower quote unquote intensity work, or you could have a, a lightning blitzkrieg match where it's like over in a minute. You just don't know. You have to be ready for all of it. Um, but the bigger, the bigger thing from that standpoint was they had to feel like they wanted to know, are we doing wrestling specific stuff? Like, is this program wrestling specific? Because if it's not, I don't know if I want to do it. Sure. That, that was like a big challenge, even though like the qualities needed, like the strength, the power, the capacity, you know, those were kind of things I felt comfortable with. Uh, I didn't have to worry about the speed agility aspect or the, like I did with football and, and soccer. Um, but they just wanted to know, Hey, do you get us? Do you understand us? And if you do, then we're in, but if you don't, then we're going to, we're not going to you know, be as bought in. So that so was, as, that was probably the one. Yeah. I hear you. I like as much as I hold in high esteem, the NSCA, and I've been with them for 30 years, there is a weak spot and that is specificity of training in my not so humble opinion. I did a presentation not too many years back and on the slideshow, I put uh, from the SNC journal, a mm. program that was published that showed Basically, here is this routine, and we play a little game. See if you could guess. What sport is this? Which sport is this? <laughs> yeah. And and then I put it yep. up. I, I think I did it like three times. Yeah. And yep. everyone in the audience, like, I have no idea. Yep. Well, you should. Mm -hmm. If yep. you look at a program, you should be able to pretty much pick it apart. One was like um, um, skiing. Mm -hmm. And it looked like a football program at the time. Yeah. Now we're talking back like 10 years now, but yeah. at the same time, I see what you're saying. And I totally mm -hmm. understand what the wrestler's perspective yeah. is, is that don't just throw me in a weight room and expect that just because I'm lifting a bar here and there, that it's going to carry over into the mat. To some degree, mm -hmm. I'm going to get stronger, but it's it's not going to be as specific to yeah. my needs. So yeah. yeah, that's great. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because- uh, that directly applies to my role as an acquisitions editor. I'm looking How at those so? things. So, so because I need to look at my, I'm assessing a book from its, for its content. So, and, and I need to know, will the reader ultimately find this valuable? Like that's the, those are the kinds of things I'm thinking about when I'm ideating 
a new book, when I'm looking at an outline an author submits or a pitch an author submits or the content of a book, um, you know, I'll, I'll say this publicly because the uh, editor has also publicly talked about or like, you know, mentioned it is we're, we're working on the second edition of the NSCA's Developing Power. Nice. And um, I remember looking at that book initially and, you know, as part of my role, I I come up with the kind of a first initial revision plan. So what are the things are we going to change? What are we going to add? What are we going to take away? And I had the exact same thoughts as you. I looked at the programs and I'm like, what's, what's separating these programs? They all look very similar. I can't, if I looked at these programs side by side, I can't tell you what sport this is. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, uh, that, that I just don't think that's how it should be. Or we, we've got to at least some give, give some like, delineation to or or uh explanation of how are we making training decisions from a movement how are we making decisions for like the load that's in in the you know being recommended so yeah it's just it's interesting you say that because uh, as an ACED, um those are things that i have to like look at and think like all right is this uh, is the reader going to get value from this is it which which then obviously ties into sales you know it ties into if that book sells and then also is, are we putting out the best information possible? Certainly. Yeah. And from my perspective, when we talk about specificity of training and, and add to that, the said principle, mm. specific adaptations <clears throat> to impose demands, I would expect an athlete to be placed in one of their athletic positions. That is one of the more common ones. And then can we explore movement and three dimensionality? And once they achieve that, can we add load or tempo change or something yeah. while they're in those positions. That for me is sports specificity. Um, a deadlift, a bench press, and a squat. Well, if you're a power lifter, that's specific to you, but it's not necessarily specific to a basketball player. There may be some gains on those lifts. For sure. But in terms of specificity, I don't know about. Yeah. Okay, how about this? Let's just spin it to a different direction. You, speaking of NSCA, in <laughs> Vegas, you're going to be presenting on Wednesday, July 12th to kick off. You'll be the last presenter on the first day yep. of the national conference in Vegas at Caesars Palace. And, and it's this is also in person as well as being virtual yep. online for those that aren't going to be able to make it. What are you speaking on? Yes. So I am speaking on the title of my talk is How to Evaluate Dietary Supplements. So, uh, basically what I'll be going over is, uh, how, how do you assess a supplement's quality by just looking at the label? Uh, and if you don't know anything about nutrition, you know, biochemistry, if you don't know, you know, you're, you don't remember your organic chemistry terms, if you're not up on the latest research, how the heck can you evaluate if a supplement is going to be ultimately safe? Like that's the main thing we're looking at here is, is it, is it going to be safe? Is this supplement going to have in it what the label says, or is there going to be a higher risk of it having uh, undisclosed ingredients or mislabeled ingredients? Well, the um, only thing missing from that individual you just described is my face because <laughs> That is me. I got to tell you, in all honesty, Corey, um, and, and for the listening audience, during COVID, I had this epiphany of my relationship with sugar was very similar to other things that I no longer use in my life. They may have served a purpose in my early years, but it's been many, many years since I've, I've, I've reached for different things. 
Uh, and but sugar, oh my gosh, has started having this this conversation with me, and and I realized this isn't serving me a purpose anymore. Long story short, it's been like three years since I've had a donut or a cookie <laughs> or a piece of cake, and of course, it's coming from wow. personal trainer. We all have those things, but yeah. one thing that I do do for my little sweet treat in the evening is I take a multivitamin. That's one of those mm. like gummy yeah, across the board shelf. Sure. Yep. And the only reason, I don't even look at the label, brother. I, <laughs> I have no idea what's in it. All mm-hmm. I'm looking for is that little that chewy little sweetness. sweetness. And I yeah. figure I'm rationalizing this crap in my, because I figure, okay, it's a vitamin. So yeah. give me a lowdown. What, what should I be looking for? And is there a gummy kind of version out there that I can go, yeah, that's that's what I want. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's interesting um, because- one of one of the most recent gummified supplements that I've seen is creatine, and I'm like, well, that's interesting. Uh, and I uh, talked to Dr. Abby Smith Ryan about this because she's involved in some she does creatine research and and, has, and and things like that. And she's just like, you know, it's just another delivery mechanism. It's just another delivery form. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, gummy doing a gummy version is it can be effective. It's totally fine. Like I have my daughter, my three-year-old daughter, she takes a multivitamin gummy and a DHA gummy. So like these are viable mechanisms or methods to, to deliver multivitamins or or supplements. So I just thought that was, that was interesting. Um, yeah. So here's the, okay. Multivitamin is a great example here, because if you look at the back of a multivitamin, look at the supplement facts label, it is a alphabet soup of terms. Yes. Okay. And so ha- have you ever heard the phrase, if you can't pronounce it, don't eat it? Oh, yes. Okay, yes. Based on I... that, no, based on that, no one should take a multivitamin. <laughs> Nobody. Because if, okay. So what you want to see on a label is transparency. Everything should be clearly listed and the form that it is in should be listed. So you should see on a supplement label, vitamin D and in, in parentheses, it should say cholecalciferol. If, it, if you're not told the form, that's a red flag. Okay? Why? Why is that? Because there, there's more than one form of everything. Okay. So cholecalciferol, we know, is vitamin D3, which is what we need to get it to in the body. You also have vitamin, K, or vitamin D2, which has, there's a conversion that happens there. Okay. Um, so magnesium is a really good example. There are, I don't know, at least half a dozen versions of magnesium because we can combine it with a salt like magnesium citrate. And that has a different um, effect than magnesium glycinate. Okay. Well, the most common form of magnesium is a magnesium oxide. That's almost always what you're going to see on a supplement, a multivitamin, especially if it's cheaper. Like if it's just something you bought off the shelf at Target or Walmart, it's just like, that's what's probably going to be in there you basically don't even absorb magnesium oxide. It's terribly absorbed. So even though it might have this percentage of the RDA on the label based on the amount, the milligrams amount, you're basically getting none of it because it's a horribly absorbed form of magnesium, but it's super cheap. So what's impossible, even for for me, like someone who's, I've got a master's in nutrition. I've been studying nutrition now for like well over a decade. I pay attention to it. I cannot keep up with the forms of things. I cannot keep up with the the latest version of, you know, magnesium. Um, you know, so 
that's where I'm like, I've got to come up with a framework of how to assess some these things. Because if I can't keep up with it as a professional, how the heck are other people like just the general person walking into GNC or vitamin shop, how are they going to, going to do this? And, and, and if they care about their health and safety, how are they going to make decisions? Yeah. Um, I hear yeah. you because I mean, for years, you owning a studio, you get approached by companies. Hey, Absolutely. you can put this on your shelf. Great profitability. You'll earn this much more. Wouldn't it be nice to have some some other revenue stream and so on? I got to be honest, I I can't keep up. Like you said, there's so much uh, there's so much yeah. change within the world of strength conditioning that that keeps me busy. I can't even yeah, take you, yeah, exactly. when it comes to nutrition or supplements. Yep. I just yep. rely on somebody that I have a little bit more faith in that that's all they're yes. dedicated toward. Yes. So. I hear you. I'm, yeah, so, I'm again, I'm in that boat. Yeah. So the presentation uh, really came from like, okay, if, if the supplement label has these signs, that is the highest probability that what you're getting is high quality. Meaning again, that the label is accurate, that they're not putting things in there that are undisclosed because I mean, everyone knows about anabolic steroids getting put in supplements. That's that's pretty well known. But what I don't think people know is that there's antidepressants that get put in supplements. There's um, things like Viagra, Cialis getting put in supplements, um, uh, amphetamines and amphetamine-like compounds getting put in supplements. Just like uh, cancer drugs have been put in supplements. Uh, anything that the the company thinks like will this, I mean, basically make it work. <laughs> uh, it's all fair game. And um, so that's where like, I'm like, that's where they came from, right? That's, that's this like, okay, we need, there's some serious things getting put in supplements that can be harmful. And um, I really just wanted a really practical presentation that went over things that anybody can look at. And it sounds like there's really weak regulatory action yeah. on these products is. or is there yeah. any there is there, yeah there is it's it's a myth to say that there's no regulation that's that's somewhat times what people will say the the issue is there's no pre-market there's no pre-market approval that needs to occur for a supplement to be on the shelves and so the comparison here is always going to be pharmaceuticals and drugs where the fda must approve it before it hits shelves and that does not exist for the dietary supplement industry uh, I, interestingly it also doesn't exist exist for our food system uh which is when i was doing research for the presentation i'm like i don't think people know this that there's really no pre-market approval that needs to occur for a food either and that's why you see still like it's not exactly safe all the time to eat our food. Like you think about like, uh, you know, what was a more recent one, like romaine lettuce having contamination or, or things like that, that aren't really, you know, that sneak into our food system. Well, I mean, that's the issue of supplements. And uh, the FDA does still regulate them once they're on shelves, but any adverse events need to be reported. So the FDA isn't, isn't like pulling them off shelves and testing them, they wait until enough bad things happen that have been then reported to start the investigation of if something should be pulled. So as you can imagine, a lot of bad things have to happen and they need to be pretty bad, <laughs> you wow. know? And yeah. And uh, 
And then to take action, let's say they want to take action. They want to pull ephedra off. They want to pull uh, one th- uh, DMAA off the shelves. Well, that may take a couple of years. Okay. So now you've got this latency period where that's still on the shelves, it's still being consumed. And, uh, you know, during that time, supplement formulators and manuf- uh, supplement formulators are trying to figure out, okay, what's the next thing that we can make? That's not quite the thing that's getting pulled off, but does the same thing. So it's, yeah, definitely has uh, very loose regulations and the FDA doesn't have enough manpower to really clamp down on these things. So while there's lots of good supplement companies out there, there's just way more bad ones. But what about performance supplements? Because you're, you know, we use multivitamins as an example there, but we're, you did mention creatine, but there's so many. Yep so many products out there that you just walk into a GNC and you know, you, you're instantly overwhelmed the, the yep. moment you walk through the door. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's so many e-commerce sites that are going to try and draw you in. So when it comes to um, athletic pursuits, whether it's the person's a strength coach listening right now, athletic trainer yeah. uh, return to play, what are, what are the basic building blocks in regards to supplements that we should look for, for our clients and athletes. Like what, what, uh, like what the, what would be the base ones I would recommend? Yeah, that's essentially that. So I'll preface this by saying, uh, that I, I, I think it's important to consider supplements in, in kind of two categories. There's the category of meeting, meeting nutrient needs. That's where multivitamin will most of the time fit, unless there's a identified clinical deficiency. Uh, I would also throw protein powder into this camp and I would throw omega-3s into this camp. Although omega-3s can have a little bit more of a crossover, meaning like those are things that are technically supplements, but they're mostly used to uh, fulfill a nutrient need. So Um, for those that don't have the ideal dietary choices, this comes in. Yeah, so you're me and you live in Northwest Iowa. Oh, I'm not, eating, I'm not eating salmon twice a week. I, I, it's just not happening. Like it's so if I'm not eating omega threes through salmon or tuna, I'm literally getting none unless I'm eating a lot of chia seeds and walnuts and flax seeds, which is a, as a, a inferior form of omega three. So I've got a supplement if I want EPA and DHA in my diet, I just have to. So I'm meeting my need that way. Now, then you also have, and I'll say, uh, this camp, the, the kind of meeting needs camp, the protein powders, multivitamins, fish oils, you know, those are, are uh, viable to get through food. Okay. Like protein powder is essentially a convenience supplement. Like if you want to, you can meet your protein needs fairly easily through food. All right. Uh, and again, if I ate salmon or tuna twice a week, I'd be meeting my omega-3 needs. Uh, then the other camp is like the performance enhancing ones that have a specific performance enhancement goal and are not viable to get enough through food. Okay, let's take creatine. Um, Creatine has a specific role in the body. It's been identified. We know what it is. We know that if we supplement the creatine, we will increase the creatine levels in the muscle and the functions of it will be uh, amplified. It'll be in, the ceiling will be raised. We can get creatine through the diet. Uh, If you want an efficacious dose of creatine, meaning it will improve your performance, you're going to have to eat upwards of five pounds of red meat a day. 
at least, at least. So like not very, not very viable, right? Caffeine, like, yes, you can get caffeine through the diet via coffee and energy drinks, but then it becomes like, if you want the efficacious dose for, for performance, you might not want to drink two or three cups of coffee before you train. So that's another one that might be just more supplemental. So, uh, as far as like base recommendations, um, there's not that many, <laughs> to be honest with you. So creatine, well, actually, that's, that's really, that's, that's heartwarming for me yeah. because that, you know, forever you get those queries, like, what should I be taking? And yeah. the, the yeah. long and short of it is, uh, whole foods, yeah. seasonal vegetables, lean meats, and so on. Um, so that's, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so creatine is such a stinking anomaly that. It, it does seem to have benefit for nearly any population. Wow. Um, I know it's, it's mostly well-known for strength and power for muscle building. Uh, and now that's kind of areas not really being studied much anymore. Cause we just know, we know that it works. Um, so the new area for creatine, I'm sure you're aware of this is, is brain health and um, uh, protection and recovery from traumatic brain injury or concussion. So that's kind of the new area, but we, we just know it has a host of benefits from muscle health, bone health. Um, like I said, the, the brain health heart, there's even heart health aspects to it. Um, that's one that I don't even consider it performance anymore. I consider it for health. Like wow. I consider this as a, as a, as a healthy aging supplement. It's something I take to again, have, I've had concussions in the past, you know, so I, I don't foresee getting one anymore, but you never know. But also like it's links to um, like, just like, uh, you know, slowing down cognitive decline and things like that. So creatine is definitely one that I would, I feel pretty confident recommending to, to almost everybody. Um, gosh, outside, I mean, caffeine, caffeine's gonna gonna be in that camp that like, yes, it works. Um, and you can take it as you want for the certain situation that you, that you need. Obviously you need to be somewhat careful of like your individual response to it. Uh, do you get jittery? Do you, does it affect your sleep? All that kind of stuff. Um, and gosh, honestly, outside of that, everything becomes conditional. Like mm -hmm. there are there, there are other things that work. Yes. But are you the right, are you doing the right type of activity? Are you the right type of athlete? to get the benefit. So beta alanine is like a perfect example. Okay. Beta alanine is often listed among the supplements that, that work, that we have enough evidence to say, yeah, yep, this thing works. It will enhance your performance if you take it. But beta alanine is so specific in its, in its benefit that if you um, aren't training a certain way, or you don't play a certain sport, you're probably not going to get much benefit. So beta alanine is, is a buffer. So that, that, that burning feeling you feel in muscles after you do a high rep set or you're doing sprints or whatever it may be, it, it helps lessen that. It, it delays the onset of those burning sensations that make you stop. Okay. So if you take beta alanine, you're going to be able to get maybe a few more reps. You might, you might be able to sprint faster, uh, more repeated, like repeated times. Uh, but you've got to get into that glycolytic energy system. If you're not in a, if you don't do things that produce those hydrogen ions that cause that burning sensation, beta alanine is doing you no good. So if you're a power lifter and, and anything over five reps is cardio for you, eh, 
you probably won't get much use out of beta alanine. Same if you're like Olympic weightlifter. The only way you would is if you do a, a phase where uh, you are doing 12, 15, 20, 30 reps, and you are like really going on the higher end of the spectrum, or you're doing a CrossFit phase, or you're doing a phase where, yes, you are getting into the, the, the glycolytic energy system. Um, but other than that, you're not going to get much benefit from beta alanine. Makes um, sense. Yeah. So like a lot of them are in that camp. Nitrates, I think are in that camp. Uh, nitrates or beetroot juice. That's one that we know that's, that's pretty well on the endurance side. Um, you know, if you're in, and I'm talking like things that last longer than 45 minutes. Hmm. So if you, uh, you know, take beetroot juice or you are taking nitrates for performance, you've got to do things that last a while. If, if you're doing like, yeah, just like a general workout or again, powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting, kind of even bodybuilding, you're probably not going to get much of an effect from it. Um, and, and so that's just a conditional one. Like, yeah, if you're an endurance athlete, I would try it. If you're not, eh, might not really be worth your time. Man, I cannot wait to sit into your lecture. <laughs> I am, uh, I've already learned a tremendous amount just in the time that we've shared right now, but man, this is going to be great. Uh, and I, and we're, unfortunately we're out of time here. I, I just can't believe this has flown by. So, and tell us this, uh, if we want to follow you, like, do you have an Instagram handle, LinkedIn? Yep. I know you've got, and uh, yeah, how, how do we follow your pursuits? Yeah, I mean, I'm on all the socials. If you just search my name, Corey Van Wyke, you'll find me. Um, I've got a website, CoreyVanWyke.com, that you can see uh, this presentation. You can see some other presentations that, I, that I've given in the past. And uh, yeah, come to my talk. I, obviously, I'd love to have everybody there, but uh, I will also, I'll be at the conference all, all the whole time because I'll be at the human kinetics booth. So beautiful. I, we can talk some shop. You can see what books we've got. Um, obviously I'd love if you buy a book <laughs> and uh, you talk, talk with me and Roger, we'll both be there the entire time. And um, yeah, I would love to connect. Well, this has been great. And I'll make sure that I do just that. We'll have to hang out while we're there. Yeah. And uh, Corey, thank you so much for being on. And, and yeah, I, I look forward to come July, we'll be in Vegas. And again, for those listening, just go to nsca.com, nsca.org. Uh, they've just revamped their website. So you should have access to more information and you can sign up online or in person. Hope to see you there in person. Corey, thank you. All right, thanks Rocky. Well, that's a wrap for this week's episode. And of course, thank you, Corey. And Human Connects Publishers for coming on, talking about all, everything that you've been doing there and keeping us informed. Meanwhile, remember, if you go to NSCA.com, you can register online or virtually for the National Conference and you can get to a, get a little bit more information about what he's talking about and maybe a little bit about what I'll be presenting on. So until next time, have a good one. <laughs>